Chapter 3 Seven and Nine Years Among the Comanches and Apaches An Autobiography by Edwin Eastman This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Strange Adventure When Consciousness Returned I found myself lying on the ground, tied hand and foot with thongs of buffalo hide. I felt very sore and intensely thirsty. I had not quite yet collected my senses, and when my mind reverted to the scenes I had but just passed through, it was with a sickening sense of their horror that made me yearn for insensibility again. If I could only know what had been done with my wife, had she met the same fate as my father and brother, or was she spared, spared, and for what? To be subjected to a captivity even worse than death, perhaps? It would have been a great relief to have moved even so much as a finger, but being bound so tightly it was impossible to stir and the thongs had in a great measure impeded the circulation, so that as I lay on my back, gazing pathetically at my feet, it seemed as if they were the appendages of another person, and that my tortures had begun by my being deprived of all that part of my body below my knees. By dint of much turning, I managed to get myself partly on my side, which proved a great relief, besides affording an opportunity to look around me and gain an idea of the state of affairs. Day was just breaking, and my captors were, with the exception of the sentinel, asleep. We were on the prairie, and I at once concluded that we must have left the scene of the fight and capture. A small fire had been built, and the warrior who mounted guard was sitting with his legs crossed beneath him, seemingly gazing into the smoldering embers. There was just enough light to discern his features, and I shuddered at their repulsiveness. The hideous war paint was streaked most fantastically across his cheeks and forehead and over his body. For, with the exception of a pair of abbreviated leggings, he was quite nude. His scalp-lock was adorned with a profusion of eagle's feathers, and his wrists and arms were set off with bracelets. Dangling from his girdle was an object that thrilled me with anguish, as the long white hair, covered here and there with dark red splashes, I knew at once to be the scalp of my dear, murdered mother. I had read of the noble red man, and like most romantic people, conceived a very touching picture of his manly beauty and majestic air. One needs but to be among them to have any such illusion dispelled. In my long residence with the tribe, I found some admirable traits, of which I will speak anon, 
but they had so many counterbalancing vices that I do not think their best friends can say anything in their praise. This book is a true narrative of my capture and sufferings, and if my readers do not find running through these pages that sentimental gush about the noble red man that we have been taught to believe was as much their attribute as they considered scalping their prerogative. It is because I have been disabused of these ideas by the stern reality of an existence among them. I trust this digression will be excused, but when I stroke my chin and feel the traces of their delicate attentions, my feelings are apt to get the better of my desire to entertain. Soon, however, the camp was stirring, and my friend at the fire roused himself and advanced toward me. Whipping out a knife from its sheath, he cut the thongs by which I was bound, and grasping my shoulder, jerked me to an upright position and motioned me to follow him. I had not proceeded far, when emerging from the coppice on the opposite side of the bivouac, I beheld my wife advancing toward me in the custody of an Indian. Reader, if you can imagine meeting the being you loved best, after having supposed her cruelly butchered, you may have a faint conception of my feelings. With a little cry of joy, she rushed into my outstretched arms, sobbing like an infant. This demonstration of affection seemed not to the taste of our guards, and with an ugh, we were admonished to follow them, and we were soon in the midst of a group who were dispatching their breakfast. Food was offered us, of which I ate voraciously, after my long fast. Not so my wife, however, who could not as yet accustom her palate to the dried buffalo meat. Meantime, preparations had been making to resume our journey. The horses were brought up, and in a shorter time than it takes to relate it, we were under way, the party moving off in single file. I was allowed to ride my own horse, my wife following behind me on one of the mules. We were, as near as I could judge, about the center of the party. In this fashion, we proceeded during the forenoon. The prairie at this point was a succession of gentle undulations, covered with a rich velvety verdure, and had not my present circumstances been of such a depressing character, the scene would have been inspiriting. Away to the far west, as far as the eye could see, the vast billowy plain extended, broken here and there by a grove of the stately cottonwood tree, whose long trunks and silvery foliage was a pleasing contrast to the vivid green of the prairie. At intervals I had discerned dark objects on the horizon, but being accustomed to note signs with that care and attention that is characteristic of those whose life is spent on the plains. I had paid no particular attention to them. Soon, however, 
I did observe a commotion at the head of the column, and after a brief halt and consultation among the chiefs, our speed was accelerated, and we struck into a canter. This lope, as it is called, seems to be a gait peculiarly adapted to the Mustang, as they will break into and keep it up the entire day, evincing no more distress than our ordinary horse does in trotting leisurely. That something important was about to transpire, I felt certain, from the energetic way in which our captors spoke and gesticulated. I was not long left in doubt, as on reaching a slight eminence, a sight disclosed itself that I shall never forget and my blood thrills even now with the remembrance of my first buffalo hunt. It may seem odd to talk of my first buffalo hunt, as the question would naturally be asked, how could a prisoner participate in a hunt? The sequel will explain. The chiefs had halted, and the rear coming up, we were soon clustered in a group on this rising ground. Directly in front of us, at the distance of about three miles, I should judge, was an immense herd of buffaloes. The plain was positively black, so numerous were they. All unconscious of their foes, they were quietly grazing, while here and there a watchful old bull seemed to have stationed himself as an outpost being in readiness if needs were, to instantly communicate the signal of danger to the herd. It was a glorious sight. Even the horses shared in the excitement, and evinced as great a desire to participate in the hunt as did their masters. Presently, a warrior rode out from the main body a few paces and tossed the feather. This is done to note the direction of the wind for such is the keenness of scent possessed by these animals, that they will take the alarm and become aware of the approach of an enemy at great distances. If the drove had discovered us at this distance, our vision of fresh hump steak for supper would have resolved themselves into the dried meat of the morning. The wind being favorable, we commenced the advance, slowly at first, but gradually increasing our speed, until the horses were straining every muscle in their headlong race. Lances were slung, and bows and arrows got in readiness, with an ease and expertness that was truly wonderful, considering our rapid riding. The bridles were dropped on the necks of the mustangs, the riders using their knees both as a steering apparatus and a means of holding on. As near as I could understand, our guard was to keep as close to the hunters as was consistent with our safety, without joining in the fun. Everything went on smoothly, and we had approached to within a half mile of the herd before they noticed us. Soon, however, the old bull scented the party, and with a snort and plunge, they tore headlong towards the head of the drove, communicating the alarm as they ran. 
With a yell, the savages dashed on. Horse and rider worked up to the highest pitch of excitement. Arrows began to fly, and here and there a cow would fall, or an enraged bull goaded to fury by a wound rushed madly at his enemy, evidently bent on revenge of a most sanguinary character. Our little party kept on the flank of the advancing drove, and our escort seemed to find it very irksome doing duty as guards, as with oft-repeated uggs. Plainly expressive of disgust, they deprecated the luck that had signaled them out to perform such womanly duty. Suddenly, and with kaleidoscopic rapidity, the aspect of affairs was changed. For some unknown reason, and without apparent cause, the buffaloes made a flank movement, and in a twinkling were dashing right toward us. The Mustangs, warned by experience, turned and ran as if their lives were at stake, as they certainly were, and the mule on which my wife was mounted, with an imitation that did her great credit, followed their example. My horse, being unused to such scenes, seemed to lose his senses, and stood looking at the advancing animals in the most abject terror. Realizing at a glance my position, and feeling that instant action was demanded, I turned his head, and by word and heel urged him to run. On came these black brutes, sweeping over the ground like an animated hurricane. My poor horse was laboring fearfully, and I knew that our destruction was a matter of a few moments' time only. Suddenly my horse stumbled and flung me headlong to the ground. Then all was bewilderment. I have an indistinct notion of lying on the prairie, and then, like a great black wave, this surging mass of buffalo seemed to hover over me. I was conscious of a sharp and severe pain in my side and then of being suddenly lifted into space. When sufficiently collected to note my position, I found myself on the back of a huge buffalo bull, who, unaccustomed to this strange weight, was making frantic endeavors to clear himself of the herd, which were wedged together with as much compactness as if they were one animal. If I had chosen to fall to the ground, it would have been impossible to do so. But as such a feat would have been almost instant death, my readers will easily understand I had no intention of trying the experiment. I turned my attention exclusively to seating myself firmly on my novel steed and grasping my hands into the shaggy hair which covered his shoulders braced myself for the most thrilling ride I had ever experienced. After a few violent plunges, the bull cleared the herd and tore at tremendous speed. On, on, until objects lost their character and all seemed to be an indistinct haze. 
The buffalo had by this time carried me some distance from the main body and was beginning to show signs of fatigue. If I was going to leave him, this was my opportunity, and quietly loosening my hold, I slipped off his rump onto the ground and betook myself in an opposite direction as fast as I could go and it was with feelings of relief and thankfulness that I had escaped so luckily from my first and only buffalo ride. End of chapter 3